Thank you, Brighton and Nancy. Appreciate that. Wow. I just love hearing that gal sing. I'm telling you, just <laughs> that's the way you ought to do it. You ought to, you ought to sing. You ought to just, you just belt it out there. That's, that's wonderful. And, and a song like that, that's right. Uh, you won't find the Lord in the, in the empty tomb any longer. He's, he's over that. Wow. What a blessing. Brother Glenn, it's good to see you. Amen. Uh, we don't often uh, get a chance to have the pastor of uh, Highland Park Baptist Church here. So amen. It's good to, good to see you. Um, we have, uh, be, before we go on tonight, we're, uh, we've got a couple of testimonies. And so um, let me ask uh, Holly first, if you want to come on to the platform. And uh, this last uh, summer, uh, there's some experiences that she had that she'd like to share with others. And, and I believe we're going to hear what the Lord wants us to hear tonight from the message, the testimonies, the singing. And so you open up your heart to, uh, the, to these testimonies. Thank you. Well, first of all, I made it up the stairs without tripping. That was my biggest fear. Um, I'm not accustomed to speaking in public, so I am uh, just a little bit nervous. Um, do I have to turn towards me? Can you not hear me? Oh, for you people who are hard of hearing like me. Um, I've been wanting to share my testimony about what happened with my family this last summer, um, but I wanted to wait until I could maybe be a little bit stronger about it. So so I wouldn't be too emotional when I tried to share it. Um, but I wanted to be, uh, I just wanted to be, a, I wanted to bring glory to the Lord, and um, I just, you know, I wanted to be an encouragement to others. And so I felt like it was important that I share my testimony. I, I don't know how many of you know the details of it, but there are children in here, so I'd rather not really go into a lot of detail, and that wouldn't be appropriate anyway. But um, but anyway, two years ago, about a little over two years ago, Brother Chip, um, I think it was like our first Sunday morning service here, preached a message about, um, it was about trials to come. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but that was the gist of it was, you know, trials. And I was thinking at that time, I was just really scared. I was like, well, is it, does that mean that, I just felt like God was telling me I was going to have a trial. And as these two years passed, you know, nothing had really happened. Everything was, God's been blessing us tremendously. And um, our church is great. And I'm happy to be here. And this is where God wants us. And then this thing happened with my brother this summer. Um, so um, that was, I know there will be more trials in life, but that was, um, that was a big one. Um, but a couple things I just wanted to share was um, the day that my brother passed, he sent me a message about a half an hour, less than a half an hour before he passed, and um, I found out later, it said, it just said, love you, and it was the last text that I ever got from him, and he didn't send anybody else anything saying that he loved them, I was the only one, and we weren't super close because we had, we had been, we were just lived very different lives, and um, he had always had problems, and so I had just kind of kept him at arm's length. Um, so we had not had a lot of contact, although I had seen him some, but it was just a huge blessing. Like, as, as time passed, I just kept thanking the Lord for that, that, you know, that he gave me that, because I don't have any doubt of whether I caused him a lot of grief in life. I don't think I did anyway, but, but you know, I was just so thankful to have that because I had peace about it. I knew that that he loved me and I loved him. Um, the other thing is I just wanted to mention, there, are a lot, there were a lot of logistics that I was really worried about how the timing was gonna work. My son was gonna have surgery um, the Friday after all that. And in, in the South, they do funerals really quickly. 
but because of some of the logistics, there was some concern about whether we could do the funeral. And so I was thinking, well, I have to get home. I have to be home for Ethan's surgery. That's like, no, you know, that's gotta happen. I, whatever happens, that's gotta happen. But I really wanted to be there um, for the funeral. And um, I didn't wanna have to fly back and miss more work um, if I had to come back later. And obviously it would cost more money. <clears throat> but God worked that all out. Everything that should have, could have taken a lot longer, didn't. God worked it all out so that I could, I could be there for that. I also actually got to give his eulogy, and at that time, I actually got to give the gospel um, briefly, but I did get to do that, and so that was something I was really thankful for, was to get to say kind things about my brother. He wasn't super popular where we lived because of his um, behavior through his life, but um, so I was glad to be able to say some positive things about him. To me, that was a huge blessing. Um, also, he he and his girlfriend had, she had a daughter that he had helped her raise, and um, you know, both my, my brother and, and her mom both passed away, but um, so Ashton was basically an orphan because her, her natural dad had, um, he had died of a heart attack about four or five years ago. And so, but interestingly enough, um, her aunt was married to a guy who in his late 30s, early 40s, just decided all of a sudden he's gonna pastor. And he never, you know, that wasn't his background. I forget what he did for a trade, but anyway, um, the short story is that they are adopting Ashton. And so Ashton, coming out of this pretty rough life at my brother's for the last couple of years, it was not a super great place to live, apparently. So now she's growing up the rest of her life in a pastor's home. And to me, that's just like God was working it all out. You know, just he was in the background and the details and um, just making sure that things were done. Um, the other thing was the scripture that I chose for his, um, for his little flyer was John 14, 1 through 6. And the day that, because, um, you know, anyway, I, was, I had some concern about my brother's salvation, but his pastor had assured me he felt like that he, that he had been saved. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, that was the scripture that I wanted to use. For some reason, it was this first scripture that came to mind. But, um, but thankfully, the pastor came. I had no idea if he preached out of the King James or what, but he... Um, he preached out of the King James, but he said that day, he said he had been having a struggle about which verses to use, and that was one of them, was John 14, 1 through 6, and I forget what the other one was, but he said, evidently, this is what the Lord wanted me to do. So I just was thankful for that, that he also used the King James. I was like, yes, this is good. Um, there were so many other things, but um, as one of our friends has said, Jesus is real. Did you know Jesus is real? Um, the Mayfields know what I'm talking about, but... Um, you know, how else could we as, as humans in our condition, and how can we go through such tragedies and events, like Brother Gascoigne talked about this morning, these traumas, and still, you know, praise a Lord that we can't see? Um, it's because I was thinking, it's, you know, it's Hebrews 11.1, 1, um, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, you know, how else could people like Julie, who anybody who knows her has had just one struggle after the other, but yet she can get up here and praise the Lord and thank the Lord and just a blessing in my heart. Um, so, and Brother Gascoigne can come up here and give testimony um, to say what he said this morning and that he just can see God in it. And I just saw God's hand throughout. Don't get me wrong, it was a very horrible thing. It was terrible and it wasn't fun. And, you know, through my worst despair, um, I'm doing a lot better now, but through the worst of it, you know, I know that people are praying for me, and I know that that's what helped me to get through it, um, through the hardest parts of it anyway. I still have some days that are tough, but um, 
but anyway, through the Lord's strength, I'm able to, you know, keep moving on. And I'm just thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my church. Um, and as I said, I wanted to give testimony for a while, but I just didn't. And then I thought, you know, this is Thanksgiving week, and I just thought it would be a good time to say all the things that, you know, well, there are much more than this that I'm thankful for. Um, I love hearing people's testimonies and how God comes through. It's just I could sit there for hours and hear people talk about that. Um, and I could go on and on, but I won't because I know Pastor has to preach and we all want to go home sometime tonight. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's only by the love, grace, and goodness of the Lord that any of us can have peace and thankfulness um, under all these circumstances that we as humans have to face and go through. Um, and grace is what I'm most thankful for. Um, as you know, you've heard it again that when we're praying for one another, sometimes we don't know. We don't know the situation. Maybe you didn't even know that Holly was going through those difficulties this last summer. Um, but for those of us that did know and are praying, or maybe sometimes you pray for somebody's unspoken request, it's, it's vital, folks. It's important. It's important that we be people of prayer and that we uphold each other. It, it, is, it is so critical that we, we know how to pray and we know how to get a hold of the throne, and we, and we do that. We do that very thing. And I appreciate you doing that for our members and for others and uh, with these that we're talking about. And we're going to hear testimony from Brother Dave right now. Brother Dave, why don't you climb up to the platform? Um, he just lost his dad, and I know Brother Matt, in the passing of his mother, that's uh, here. And I hope you're praying for each other. I hope you're 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 upholding each other that are going through difficulties, and it's 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 vital, folks. It's vital. Amen. Okay. Well, I uh, also will try to be brief because I know Pastor is going to preach, but I I guess I get to preach first. Um, <laughs> No, I just wanted to give a, a brief testimony and and um, and say uh, Brother Gascoigne's um, testimony this morning was a real blessing to me, and uh, you know a lot of what he expressed is is some of the same things that I experienced, different circumstances completely, but God's hand in it all and God working through it all, and God getting glory in it all. Uh, those were all common themes uh, that I was going to touch on tonight. <clears throat> One thing I'll say a little bit differently. There was one thing, Brother Gascoigne, one thing that was overwhelming to me in the experience that I went through in losing my father, and that was God's presence with me through it. That was what was overwhelming. Um, God was with me in song, in music, the music of Wooden Valley Baptist Church, as a matter of fact. Miss Roseanne sent me some uh, some videos from our church, and, and then I subscribed to our church's uh, uh, music video site on uh, YouTube. And so I was getting these updates, and, and uh, you know, some of, some of your music, some of you, as you sang, you didn't know it, but I was a couple thousand miles away being blessed by that, being encouraged by that. And I, uh, I, I really missed my church family, but you were still ministering to me, uh, even over there. And I got several text messages from people and, and uh, uh, Brother Chris sending me scripture just about every day, sending me a, a scripture that he had read, a word of encouragement. And, and uh, again, Miss Roseanne sending me encouraging text messages. Several of the teenagers reached out to me and, and just told me that they loved me and they were praying for me. And, and man, those, those things meant so much. And I, uh, 
I wanted to uh, really just get up tonight and say thank you. Thank you to my local New Testament church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, of course here uh, the, the, the local New Testament church is being uh, spoken about in terms of the body of Christ and, uh, and is being compared to that body and, and each one of us being members of that body and, and all the parts of the body being necessary. And he talks about the handsome parts like me and the comely parts like you. <laughs> and I just want to say y'all are a bunch of weird, quirky, uh, you know, cranky, grumpy, wonderful people. And, uh, and we're all part of a body here. And the Bible says here that, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And I, I experienced that over the last three weeks. Um, I, I could tell that my church was hurting for me, they were praying for me, and even many of the words of encouragement that I received, I. I even as I received them, I realized those people were going through their own trials, they were going through their own afflictions, their own difficulties, but they were still hurting with me over my loss. And I just wanted to commend our church and tell you I love you and I appreciate you. And uh, you were truly a part of me while I was gone and I missed you terribly and I'm glad to be back. But uh, I just thank God for you, your love for me and your investment in me over the last few weeks is has really been a blessing and an encouragement to me. So that's it, Pastor. Thank you, Brother Dave. Appreciate that. Amen. Just great testimonies. We've been hearing some fantastic testimonies, and I, I appreciate that. I really do. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4, and as you're turning there, uh, we're into this series. Um, the Lord has been giving us some great services and some really unique times where... I don't know about you folks, but I, you can kind of sense the Lord's presence and his, his speaking to us and his dealing with, with us through the message, through the prayer, through the song, through the music. And uh, it's not to be taken for granted. We can't just assume that's going to happen. We, we better come to church with, in, in, a, in a condition ready to hear and with a, with a heart open. But the Lord has certainly been giving us some great services. We're looking forward to... God continuing to bless and on an upward uh, uh, trek here. And so we're, we're uh, thanking the Lord for what he's doing. I had 221 this morning. That was a blessing, I'm telling you. I just said this, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, where it's going to, to stay above that 200 mark is going to take everybody to invite. And I think you have been, and, and it's just showing. And that's a blessing. Guys, keep on going in the right direction, the same direction. Let's, uh, let's uh, do what we can for the Lord. And um, again, Anybody, anybody could use the service that we all experienced this morning. It was uh, just something that, that all of us uh, uh, gain from, and, and there's, if, if a person misses out, then they miss out. So just uh, let's, let's keep it going. Let's, let's do that. Uh, <clears throat> I ask you to turn to First Timothy, and I didn't. First uh, Timothy chapter number 4. Let me get that real quick. First Timothy chapter number four, and uh, we're in that series where he begins with, now the Spirit speaketh expressly 
that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And this is uh, Latter Times Ministries. That's the series that we're in. Uh, Latter Times Ministries. We're down to verse number 12 here. So let's look at verse number 12 as our text tonight. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us, that you would uh, open it up to us. And Lord, we've been blessed by your word and by the instruction of it, by the clarity of it. Lord, tonight, just very straightforward. There's not anything that uh, I don't think anybody's not heard before, but it's uh, 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 reminding of the truth of the, the scripture, the encouragement. In these latter times, this is what's needed today. And so, Lord, thank you for foreseeing that we would need this instruction tonight. Lord, I pray that you would open it up to us. Help us to uh, be obedient and aspire to obey and to follow the direction that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we covered the attitude toward the Bible, verse number 11. Uh, you remember verse number 11 says, these things command and teach. You know, it's the these things of the Bible. That's what he's talking about, the context. He's talking about, you know, the, the lies that are going out in the latter times, but we should emphasize the truth. And so he says, these things, the things of the scripture, the, the things that the Bible teaches, he says, these things command and teach. The attitude we said last week was of uh, total acceptance, respect, aspiration to obey the word of God. We said that believers are to be reminded of the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 6, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of the, the, these things, thou shalt be a good minister, being reminded of the truth. We're to receive the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 9, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation or acceptance. And so we are to receive the truth. We're to rely on the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 10, for therefore we both labor and suffer approach because we trust in the living God. That's what we do. We trust in God and his word, trust in, in his promises. And then uh, we looked beyond that, and uh, we said that the Bible is meant to be publicly instructed. That's what he says. Um, these things command and teach uh, in Titus 1.3. But God hath in, hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. So it's this public com uh, um, dissemination of the truth, public instruction like in church. When we come to church, the Bible is to be publicly instructed by commandment. The, the Bible is to be personally absorbed by teaching. It says these things command and teach. And the teach there, you remember we talked about, it's not just the teaching of it, but the learning of it, the receiving of it, those that are listening and actually putting it to work. And so uh, it's to be absorbed. And then it's also a positive assimilation by obeying it. There's no option of rejection. Uh, rejection. God doesn't say, well, here's the truth. Uh, see whether you want to uh, you know, follow or not. No, he says, this is the truth, follow. It's all good and it's all there and it's all God's word. So tonight, going on to verse number 12, uh, last week was these things, the attitude towards the Bible, or to you know, teach it and command it these ways. Tonight, verse number 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The commandment that he's saying here, is, this is what we're supposed to do. You're to follow this. You're to obey. The commandment is don't allow anybody to despise your youth or your inexperience or your immaturity. Don't allow anybody to despise your youth. Okay, well, wait a minute. What if, but what if... Have you ever faced a person, a situation where somebody 
uh, was going to hate you no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter your position, whether you're right or wrong. Or Have, have you ever faced anybody that was determined uh, that you were on their bad side and there's nothing you could do about it? I have. You know, I've faced that. I hate that. I, I like everybody to love me. I mean, to know me is to love me. I, I love me, you know? But, you know, and I'll come across sometimes somebody that it doesn't matter what I do because I'm not really the problem. It's they have something against me or, or and, and they're, and you face people like that sometimes that no matter your procedure, they were not going to let go of hatred or animosity towards you. Uh, maybe somebody else hurt them and they're taking it out or striking back at you. And you've got nothing to do with that, but you're in that seat. Or maybe they just saw the opportunity to get an advantage of oppressing you for their advancement. Maybe it was that they were merely a child of a a prodigy of the devil himself. Who knows? But they, they, they were wicked or they were unreasonable. The truth is that you could do nothing to change them. So if you face that before, and there are people like that that are out there, and that's why Paul said, as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men, because sometimes you just can't. Sometimes, no matter what you do, they're not going to go along. They're not going to obey. They're not going to buy into. They're not going to agree with you. And so as much as in you is, this is what you do. He's not saying you, you change others. So if you could do nothing to change others, in that sense... There would be no way for you to fulfill this verse because nothing you could do or not do would suffice to change their mind when Paul tells Timothy, don't allow anybody to despise your youth. Don't allow anybody to despise your youth. Well, you can't change them no matter what you do. You can't turn the tide no matter what you do. Well, see, folks, that's not, it's not the point of the command here. The point of the command is, in essence, a command not to allow anybody to justifiably condemn you for your sin or for your lack of character or for your lack of prudence. The same thought is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. He says here, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. He's talking to believers and saying, hey, it's, it's common. Believers go through persecution. They go through uh, uh, malignment, they go through uh, persecution, they go through uh, uh, those who oppose them because they stand for Christ. And he says, hey, don't, don't get upset, just be prepared, this is going to happen. And in verse number 13, he goes on, he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So he says, okay, you're going to be going through difficulties. You're going to go through persecution. It's going to happen. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. He says, listen, um, uh, if you're going to be doing right and you're, you're holding out a good testimony, amen, that's good. And people are going to malign you. People are going to persecute for no reason. Nothing you go do about that. That's okay. Don't be ashamed. Keep on going. Keep sailing. But don't be uh, being, being slammed for your sin or for your uh, 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 foolishness. 
you know, you've got a flaw in character, and don't let, don't let your uh, uh, things that happen to you, uh, the persecutions or whatever, be because of your failures. Don't suffer as, uh, don't be suffering as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. No, no, you suffer as a Christian doing right, not because of you've justifiably uh, uh, enabled others to, to uh, blast you. And that's what he's saying. If you get blasted, which you will in this dark world, then let it not be for doing dumb things. Don't give the enemy any justification to reject what we preach. And that's what he says when he says, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of, and he goes on. And he's not saying prevent them. He's saying don't give them any proper justification so that they could, they could uh, 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 blast you or the faith. So he says, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. You know, when we think of youth, we think of uh, young people. You know, young people like, uh, like these two guys on the front. Caleb and Tristan. Come on up here, both of you guys. Just, I'm going to, just for example's sake, just uh, stand over here. Man, these guys, I love these guys. These are, man, look at these guys. These are all right. Oh, I love these guys. I love these. And we, when we think of youth, we think of, how old are you guys anyway? How old are you? Nine. Nine and ten? All right, good. All right, sit down. Good. Uh, nine and ten-year-olds, we think that's youth. That's, our, that's the young people. Or maybe you're uh, thinking, when, when, you, when you think about youth, you think about those that are a little bit older. Maybe like uh, James or Ethan or uh, Daniel. You know, you, you think of these young men around here that are in their teens and they're, they're, they're growing into adulthood and, and they're youth. I remember this message was preached at a youth rally when I first got saved. There was a teenager, and, and the preacher says, hey, let no man despise thy youth. So how young was Timothy, you think? Well, this, the, the passage that we're reading in 1 Timothy was uh, written about 65 A.D. As far as we can tell, you know, that's about the, the time that Paul penned these words. When he's talking to, to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy... Young man Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy was first introduced into the pages of the Bible in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16. If you look at that, Acts 16, verse 1, then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. There's Timothy, he's introduced. It's the first time you see him in Scripture. And there, it tells a little bit about him. Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, you've learned a little bit later that uh, Timothy's mom and grandmother were believers. His dad was probably not. And so it was a, a house of mixed uh, background of faith, I guess, if you'd say. And it goes on to say, him, this is Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So here, it sounds like that he was a young man when Paul met him, when Paul dealt with him, when Paul, you know, first was introduced to Timothy. He was not called a man. He was dealt with not as a man or as a leader or as a, uh, a head of his house, because he wasn't at this time. He was, he was referred to as the son of a woman. He had a clean slate of history to follow Paul, but he was identified by his parents in the passage, by his mom and his dad. So how old would you say that he was? Well, could have been in his teens or maybe in his 20s. 
I'd say that he was probably in his 20s some, somewhere. Let's say uh, 25. Okay, so, well, this was a good 12 years before 1 Timothy was written. In Acts chapter 16, it was uh, about 53 AD. So that was 12 years prior to the time where Paul calls Timothy a young man. He says, let, let no man despise thy youth. So I guess that when, he's, when Paul's dealing with Timothy, he says, uh, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, where he was probably about 35 or 40. Now, uh, we kind of don't look at that like a young man. We, we look at that maybe like a middle-aged man. But Paul refers to him as a youth. Isn't that interesting? A man's earlier life was viewed as the years that would make him, would define him, and set and harden his character later in life. And as a young man, 35, 40, that, like I say, we would consider that middle age, he was a young man yet in, in Timothy's, in, in Paul's view. Now, y'all, y'all understand that this preacher enjoys rabbit trails. <laughs> but I've been criticized that viciously in the past. And so, and, and if there's something that has nothing to do with the message, then, you know, I could skip it. But I like my rabbit trails. How many like my rabbit trails? Let me see your hands. Okay, put your hands down. How many don't like my rabbit trails? Okay. The rabbit trails win. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the age of men or young men or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and this has nothing to do with them. But I wanted to put this in some, in some message, but I don't know where to put it. So I'm going to put it right here. Note that Jesus was about 32 years old at the time that he was evaluated as a man not yet 50. In John 8 and verse 57. This is when Jesus was having a conflict with the Jews and John 8, 57, then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And he's talking about he was before Abraham and this and that. And so they were making a point, well, you're not even 50 years old yet. Now, why didn't they say, Jesus, you're not even 40 years old yet? Because he was 32 at the time. I don't know, but I believe that it was because that Jesus lived a full and hard life, may have looked worn and older than he was. Because he was a man's man, and, and his occupation as a carpenter, which the Bible doesn't say much about his younger years, although his dad was a carpenter, and uh, he learned the trade, and he, it seemed as though Joseph was off the scene early in, in his life, and he was the one that took care of his family, and his mother provided for his mother. Matter of fact, on the cross, he, he took that responsibility and gave it to John. You remember that? Where he says, here, behold your mother. And, and, and he was talking about, hey, now take care of her from here physically, humanly. And so Jesus was a, a, a carpenter by trade. He was a man's man with no place to lay his head, the Bible says. He, he mastered the skill of carpentry. His presence was bold and formidable as often he would counter the wicked culture of his day in overturning the tables in the temple. You remember that scene? One time he walked straight through a violent mob with intentions of throwing him off a cliff. And there was no miracle there. There was no you know, supernatural. No, no, the Bible says straight through the crowd. He just walked away because it was not time for him. And you know what? He was a man, and he intimidated others because of, of his, his uh, presence, because of who he was. He laid his hands at his feet still to be punctured by the spikes in his crucifixion. He didn't fight that. It took a man to do that. It took a man's man. <clears throat> 
I get sick looking at the Renaissance artist depictions of the Savior as some lily-white anemic poster child for gender dysphoria, you know what I mean? That's what it looks like. No kidding. That's just what it, what it seems to be. But folks, our Savior was a man in every sense of the word. And by the way, he didn't have long hair. I know there's all kinds of pictures and all kinds of, even Sunday school materials that we, every once in a while I go through and purge all the Sunday school material and, get, and give Jesus a haircut because he didn't have long hair. You say, well, preacher, what do you mean? Well, for one, it would be contrary to scripture. That's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11, 4, 11, 14, does not even nature itself, Paul says, teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame. And that's what the Bible says. And it wasn't just culture. Matter of fact, Paul says, you know, if any man has any other culture, then we, we don't do that here with, um, among believers. That's what he says. And he calls, you know, uh, a, a man having long hair is a shame. And, and Jesus wouldn't go contrary to Scripture. And number two, Jesus wasn't trying to call attention to his physical being by going contrary to the male culture of his day. The male culture, the, the, the male presentation, or men wore the popular style of a pulled head like the politicians or the Caesars of the day. Archaeology, archaeology display, displays coins and, and discloses the busts of popular men of, the, of that day, poets or politicians or statesmen, and they all had uh, cropped hair, short hair. And that was the, the, the way that men looked. And Jesus wasn't trying to make a statement. He wasn't a counter-revolutionary. And three, the distorted practice of long hair on men really wasn't in style until many, many centuries later when male royalty would desire long hair to dis- display wealth and aristocracy, even to wearing wigs, and that's what they did. Other signs of upper-class distinction would be a soft, fine features and lace that contrasted the hard laborers that they employed or by the slaves that they owned. They were trying to separate themselves from the, the, the poor class, and so they, were, they, they would portray themselves that way. It was in the Renaissance culture setting that many of the master artists sculpted or painted Christ with long hair to fit their social norms. And thus you have Jesus and the disciples looking more like women than men in those pictures and paintings and whatever, aside from their beards. Of course, they couldn't get rid of the beards because uh, the beard... Uh, was biblical. There are some biblical indicators that Jesus sported a beard since it was plucked out in his death sentence. Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. That was Jesus, and, and so he did have a beard. They say that some weaker criminals on death row didn't even make it to the cross as they went through that, uh, the 39 stripes. They would stretch the, the, the criminal above uh, heaven and earth, you know, above the, the, the floor where just tippy toes would be touching. And they'd get that cat of nine tails and wrap it around the, the victim that had bone and, and uh, uh, thorns and spikes in the, in the, tied into the uh, nine leathers. And wrap it around that, that rib cage and then pull back as it would sometimes uh, disembowel the, uh, the criminal. Some wouldn't even survive that. They died there on the whipping post. Folks, I'm proud of my Savior and his example of manliness. That had nothing to do with the, with the message. <laughs> we had it in me, wanted to get it out. Okay, back to the, okay, off the tra- rabbit trail, get back to where we are. Anyway, we're talking about Timothy. Okay, Timothy is his age, he's a young man, but maybe 35, 40 years old. 
He was looked upon as a young man, where today we might look at his age like middle-aged. But Timothy's urge to develop and mature in these areas. He was to be the example of believers. The word example in our text, when Paul says, he's back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. Matter of fact, even keep on going back to that because that's all we're going to be, be looking at. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. That word example is the word that means die or stamp. Um, something that would, would uh, make a mark on a, you know, manufacturing or on paper. Um, something that is to model the desired product. A measuring stick for others. And it's talking about to reproduce faith in others. So Timothy was, was encouraged to display the ideal for other believers, even older believers, in these areas. And he, and he lists six of them. It's very simple. This is kind of a strange message in that there's not one point, two point, three point. There are just six points that he, he puts in this verse. And he says, Timothy, you are to, to display your faith in these six ways, word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. Let's take a look at it. Word. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about their speech. And he's, he's saying, Timothy, as a believer, watch your tongue. Watch what you say. Because your words are important. And Jesus talked about let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And, and, it's, and it's important. James says, as uh, Brother Tim Schellenberger uh, preached this message at uh, uh, man camp where a great message where James says, above all things, let your yea be yea or nay be nay. That means the most important thing, the most important thing about your Christian testimony is your word. What you say, stand behind it like God does his word. Aren't you glad that God stands behind his word? So you as a believer, if you're going to be Christ-like or a Christian, then you're to have an example for others, even other believers, even older people, in word or his speech, in conversation. This is not talking about conversation between two people, but the word actually means your behavior and how you walk, how you walk the walk. I'd rather have a person walk the walk than talk the talk. How many times have you come across and heard somebody say that they're something and they're not? Hypocrites. It's called hypocrite. Hypocrisy. Nobody likes... I mean, the world despises hypocrites. And a hypocrite can be smelled a mile off. And you know what? Sometimes hypocrites are really good with, with portraying and, and play-like. But there's always somebody close enough that can see through it. And usually it's family members. You can uh, pretty much uh, fool anybody. It's really hard to fool a family member, isn't it? It's really hard to when, when you go home with the loved ones in that castle and then you kind of let down, let down the masks and you let down everything. How do you come to church? How do you come to church and portray like? Is that who you are? Oh, man, I just want to be, I want to be consistent. I mean, through and through, consistent. Have a, a consistency. There was an example of the, the um, uh, quality control guy that was working for some kind of a uh, farming operation that these, these uh, boxcars of grain came in and would, would go and it would, would dump out into these silos and things. And, and so he'd have a boxcar of tons and tons of, of some kind of corn or, or uh, wheat or some kind of grain. And he was to be quality control. And this is how he would do it. As the, 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 the uh, boxcar would be, you know, dumping itself and just emptying itself and just take, you know, hours to do that, he would take a, a cup 
regular coffee cup. Go in there where the, where the thing was coming out, get a, get a little bit of that, and go in and put it in his office and look at it. Just anywhere. Anywhere, in beginning and anywhere. You know, just, but how do you tell if that's what the whole boxcar is? Well, it should be consistent, the same. Folks, we, sh- we, should, we should walk the walk. We should be consistent at all times in front of everything and everybody, when we're by ourselves, when we're in church, when we're at work, when we're at play, when we're with family, everywhere. So he says, Timothy, this is what you're to do. You're to be an example, that die, that stamp for others, an example for believers in word, and that's what you say, your conversation, that's your behavior, and in charity. The word there means your sacrifice, your love for somebody or something that you will put out, that you will, uh, it will cost you to help somebody else, your charity. Displaying bounty to others. Number four, he says, he talks about your spirit. This is your attitude, the manner in which you operate. The way, you know, if, uh, you know how you actually say the things that you say. I was just thinking about this today. What, one of the testimonies that we're, we're given about um, giving the gospel. And, and the Bible says we're to preach the truth in love. Or to, or to preach the word, give the truth in love. Not just give the truth, but give the truth in love. And, and you know, people know that. They know whether you're, you're, you're genuine or not in that. And so he talks about your spirit, or the attitude, the manner in which you operate. Faith. Of course, that word faith is from the word pistis, which means believe or belief. It's what you believe. Not what you say you believe. It's what you believe. What you really, truly believe. People say what they want to say. Words are cheap. But if a a person truly believes that Jesus is coming and they're going to be ready at all times, then they're going to be ready at all times. If you don't believe he's you don't believe his word, oh, you could say you believe in the second coming of Christ, but you don't live that way. You don't live like he could come tonight. He could come Tuesday uh, afternoon. You you don't say it's what you believe. What you believe, not what you say you believe. And so he's supposed to be an example in his faith and and what he puts his trust in, what he buys into. And the last one is purity. This deals with his holiness, his separation. And and he's saying, Timothy, if you're going to be that example, you've got to watch the defilements that seep in every opening because they come in. Folks, we, we live in a wicked world. Don't you think that we're going to get away unscathed. We're going to have to often come to an altar or the altar of your heart and, and apply 1 John 1.9 1 1 if we, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We've got to do that. We've, we have got to apply purity, holiness. We've got to watch the defilements that are everywhere on all sides and, and they're, they're a pressure on the believer. Why would, let me ask you something. Why would anybody despise a person's youth or youthfulness? When he says, Timothy, let not, how does he put it? Let no man despise. Like, why would somebody despise the youth? A kid. Well, probably because those who are immature are opposite of what Paul urges Timothy to display. He says, be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity. That's what he said. This is what we're supposed to do. So, what would, what would the youth or, the, or those who are immature, those who don't apply these things, we could argue that young people would typically be unstable in their communications, in word, 
you know? Not, not really mean what they say or, or their words aren't important. Maybe a young person or immature person would be unsettled in their behavior, not solid in their conversation or their behavior. Maybe a young person would be selfish when it comes to loving sacrifice and giving to others. Do we know what selfish... You know what? If you want to get a great lesson in selfishness, on one of these days, when, like this morning, we had 220-some, and how many... Uh, uh, Christine, how many did we have in the nursery this morning? Just uh, ballpark. No, no, not workers. I mean kids. Oh, really? No kidding. Just four. How many are there tonight? Five. <laughs> wow, I thought we were talking about 30, you know, so that's good. <laughs> For the workers, that is. <laughs> Come on, folks, we need to grow this church. Come on, get things moving here, you know. <laughs> but if you, okay, let's move on. That's not a rabbit trail. That was a... That was a, a a failure of, of uh, prudence there. Anyway, we'll, and you love your preacher, and let's move on, okay? Um, <laughs> so what I was going to say was uh, use the illustration of uh, you, you learn about selfishness in the nursery. You know, infants, toddlers, selfishness, oh my goodness. <laughs> you remember the, the rules of the toddlers? <laughs> my toys are mine, and they're not yours. And if I see a toy, it's mine. If you're playing with a toy... It's mine. If I put down my toy and you pick it up, no, it's mine. <laughs> Self, that's a kid. That's a, a, a child or somebody who is immature is selfish when it comes to sacrifice. Uh, a kid sometimes or immature or youth will sport a bad attitude. We don't know anything about that around here, right? Yeah. <laughs> none of our children, none of your kids ever have a bad attitude, right? Okay, let's move on. Walking by sight, not by faith. That's what an immature person does. Or maybe they're tainted and soiled, indifferent about their holiness. And, and when he says, hey, Timothy, this is what you need to be. Don't be like a, a child or a, don't have your immaturity despised because an immature person would not worry about their holiness, not worry about their separ- separation and allow... Uh, allow themselves to uh, become soiled, dirty, tainted. The picture of the young person is that he is undisciplined or he, he is selfish or he is spoiled. That's the definition of a child. He's spoiled. If you take a look at what he's saying, what, what Timothy was to aspire to is not to be a spoiled brat. <laughs> Just uh, today I saw a picture of the White House press room. And the White House press room, it was empty before President Trump gets in there and all the, the, the uh, uh, journalists come in there and ask questions. White House press room ready to be uh, uh, occupied by all the press room. It's got all of these chairs all in a row, and it's got a, a high chair. Jim Acosta. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. All right, let's move on. I just had to get it out of my system. Okay. If you don't know what's going on in the last week or so with Jim Acosta, then probably you're, you're better for that. But anyway, what a baby. <laughs> hey, folks, uh, being, being spoiled, a spoiled child, child is not good. Many of this 
upcoming generation that we have around, that we live amongst have characteristics of the immature that that don't display consistency and and uh, a genuine faith and and uh, trust in God no no they they have the the characteristics of the immature or or the youth or or children and that's a person that needs to grow up develop be conscientious about his testimony about his God so the question is, when I look at this verse, he says, let no man, now he's talking to Timothy, but I, I, I could apply this to me. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and uh, what was that, in, in uh, faith and in purity. Amen. That's, that's what we, we need to do. The question that I have is, do I display that? I mean, in those six areas... Word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity. Do I display that? Do, do, I, do I present an example to others? A- am I one who is, who, in my speech or my behavior, my sacrifice, my attitude, my belief, my holiness or separation, do, do I display godliness? Do I display maturity concerning my walk where I am the example for others to emulate or, or am I yet immature, childish? undisciplined, ineffective. See, because he's, he's saying this is what makes a great witness, is if you, you apply these, this makes the gospel profitable, effective, powerful. If you don't have these in your life, what you say won't make a difference. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, and spirit, and faith, and purity. Regardless of age, anyone, even teens, can display maturity, solidity, unselfishness, godliness of testimony. You, you know, this morning, I, just, I, I stepped into the teen department for Sunday school just to see how things are going and, and, and all, and it was, a, I'm telling you, it was a blessing. Full house. How many did you have there this morning? Four, 45. That, I'm telling you, the, the teen department is just, it's, it's moving on. And, it's, and it's, I, I'm so proud of our young people. But you know what I heard? And uh, young people, you can attest to this fact. Uh, your teacher, Brother Dave, did not cut you any slack. I mean, he was talking about being filled with the Spirit. And he was talking to young people like they were, like they were believers. Like they were Timothy kind of believers. He was expecting, he, this, he, he said, this is what God expects of us, to be filled with the Spirit. And he's going on and on and on. You know something? Our teenagers can be filled with the Spirit. Our teenagers can display this. Uh, a, a, a young person, a young person in their teens can, can take and, to, and, and can apply these things. It's not age. We're not talking about age. We're talking about your maturity in Christ and what you say, what you do how you sacrifice, how you conduct yourself, your trust in the Lord, your separation from uh, ungodliness or the world. A failure here will fuel a rejection of our faith. They'll despise your faith. They'll despise what you're saying because if, you, if you're a hypocrite in these areas, it's, you're going to fuel a rejection of the faith that you, that you promote. Success here makes a witness effective as displayed in Stephen's life in Acts chapter 6. We'll close with this example. 
Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3. Here the, the apostles get together and they say, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And this is a time where they are appointed deacons. They uh, elected deacons among them and they, they put them to work. And the church was growing leaps and bounds. They needed help in the administration. And so here's, and, and he says, you, you got to, what we need, we, we need men of, men of character, men like this, who Paul was talking to Timothy in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity, that had a great testimony, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Down in verse number 9, one of those men that they chose was a man called Stephen. Look what it says. Then there rose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And look what it says about Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he, Stephen, spake. You know why? Because he was a man that was an example. He had a testimony in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. You see, he lived in such a way and he presented in such a way that they were not able, they were unable to, to justifiably contradict what he was saying because of his life that stood behind that and the, and the word of God. Wow. It's effective. It's effective. Having a, a great Christian testimony. So where does that leave me today? How about you? You know, you might think, well, you know, this is, I'm telling you, folks, when you, you see what the Bible says about our testimony, it's, uh, it's, it's unusual to hear this kind of preaching everywhere. I'm talking about, you know, in Christian circles and churches and whatever because uh, they're so, so used to uh, the appeal of uh, just no matter who you are, no matter your background, you know, come as you are, but then it's like come as you are and leave as you were. That's the kind of thing where, where there's not a Christian testimony that's taught or that's preached. You know what's needed in the latter times? That's the day in which we live, right here, this. How's your testimony? Are you effective in your Christian walk? This is the message. This is is what we need. The latter times ministry, is. this is what's needed. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, spirit, in faith, and purity. Lord, thank you so much for this encouragement.